Hey, thank you for being here this evening, and it is a real privilege of mine to be uh, wrapping up this uh, series on worship rehab. Uh, worship is something that uh, means a lot to our family. We're a very musical family, and so for us, music, uh, worship through music is such a, an amazing thing. But also, in, um, as someone who uh, works outside the church, as someone who uh, deals, I'm a dairy farm consultant, and I work with dairy farmers on a daily basis, and as I go out into the real world, I also understand that worship is more than what we do in this building, or in what we do on a quiet time. And so today we've got some, hopefully, a pretty cool, where do I point this, that way? Anywhere? Does that come up? Mm-hmm. The right hand side, that's the right hand side. Oh, there you go. Awesome. So I've titled this talk, I Give My Whole Life to Worship God. Because for me, I think even in a lot of the topics that we've talked about so far in worship, we've talked about uh, worship through music, and we've talked about our hearts connecting with God, and so we talk about having quiet times, and the time we spend uh, with God one-to-one in an intimate form being a wonderful form of worship. And that is so true, but I guess the message I want to get across tonight that I believe that our whole life is about giving worship to God. And so hopefully tonight we can talk through and have a look at this this topic of I give my whole life to worship God. The topic I was actually given, there you go, this is the topic I was given. I was given to worship God in our work, sports teams and our groceries. Imagine that. Imagine turning up on your desk. Oh, Andrew, we'd like you to speak. We'd like you to speak. How do we worship God at work, in our sports teams and in our groceries? And so actually, I actually thought that was really cool. Initially after the shock, of course, which I thought uh, groceries, that's one of my topics that I talk about a lot, of course. Um, What a wonderful topic. And so I've been really excited as we look at this important topic of worshipping God, not just on a Sunday, not just in our quiet times, but on Monday, from 9 to 5, on Tuesday and on Wednesday, on Thursday night sports practice, on Friday, and when we're doing our grocery shopping. Now, when we talk about when we talk about doing worshiping God in our work, this is a very very common verse that comes through. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as though you are working for the Lord and not for people. And this is such a great verse. The first three words there: whatever you do, you know. And I hear, and even as I talk to people about what I was going to speak on tonight, I hear the topic goes, "Oh, yeah, but my job's pretty hard job to worship God." And there are some jobs that I'm sure are harder to worship God and then others. You know, I reckon one of the hardest places where you could go to work to worship God would be working here at church. You know, now a lot of us would go, oh, come on. But it, there must be times where the, the chore of doing the daily work of working at church gets well on the road of those of us that come here to church to worship. And it must be one of the hardest places to come to just worship God in our work. Beside the fact that we're working with Christians... Hey, you know, but whatever you do, the Bible is very clear, whatever you do, if you're a pharmacist, if you're a Bible teacher, if you're a property developer, if you're a farm consultant, if you're an electrician, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as though you're working for the Lord and not for people. And as someone who, uh, as well as being a farm consultant, we also own some dairy farms in Australia, and... This is a great quote from Martin Luther, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. Even us farmers 
can worship God in our work. That's a great quote. I love that. Right, we're going to look at a passage today. First Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 12. And I think this is an excellent passage that actually shows what does it look like. You know, it's easy to say, milk cows for the glory of God. Be a pharmacist for the glory of God. It's easy to say that, but what does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in our work, in our sports teams, and doing the groceries? And I think this is a great passage that we can have a look at where God, or where Paul and Silas and Timothy write to the Church of Thessalonians to talk about what it can look like to worship God in our daily living. So let's just read these 12 verses together. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So just stop there. The first point there is this is a church that's actually going really well. These guys are actually a shining example to a lot of the districts. Okay? And so these guys are writing to a church that is living the light that they would like. Okay? So this is not a church in trouble. This is a church that's going really well. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family through Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. That is a fantastic passage. So worshipping our God in our work, in our sports teams, in our groceries. Now, what I'd like you to do is, whatever you do for a job, I, well, what I, I spend a lot of time with farmers, and one of the first things we do when I sit down with farmers is we sit at the table and we have a cup of coffee. Right? And so for me, the cup of coffee is a big part of my week. Right? And so I thought I wanted to use something that I see on a daily basis or more than once a day as a reminder of what it is like to worship God. And so what I'd like you to do is picture the best cup of coffee if you're into coffee or mochas if you're into mocha or half-strength lattes extra hot if that's what you're like with my wife. Picture a cup of coffee or drink full to the brim, you know, that perfect cup that you'd like to see. All right, so I'd like you to have that picture in your mind as we picture that's what our life, if we're full of worship in our daily living, that's what our life looks like as a nice full cup of coffee. All right, so keep that image there. All right, now the first part of this passage that we're going to look at today. Let's just read through some of these verses. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. All of you say Sanctified. All of you watching online, say sanctified. That you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy. Everyone say holy. Holy. And honourable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy, everyone, holy life. Everyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
So the first part I want to bring out of this is that to worship God with our whole life, we need to have depth. Now, depth is something that is grunt. You know, like I'm talking to farmers, I'm not talking about a little bicycle, I'm talking about a big honky tractor that pulls everything out when everything else gets stuck. I'm talking about the tractor depth. I'm talking about that big, muscly tractor. I'm talking about the depth from in here. Right, that's what this, this part's talking about. And these two parts, the word used there is hagiosmos. And it's mentioned three times that you guys mentioned with me. And that word talks about being in a process of becoming more like Jesus. Okay, so we hear the word sanctified and holy, and we think, well, I'm not sanctified, I'm not holy, I could never be like that. And yet this word is not describing that. The word here is describing a process of becoming more relationship with Jesus. And the other part of that is that it's talking about two parts. It's talking about a depth of a relationship, and it's talking about a depth of character. So we've heard a lot about a depth of relationship, having a heart-to-heart with God in our worship, which is so important, that depth of relationship with Jesus. But the other part is that it talks about a depth of character in terms of how we live our life. So this word that says sanctified and being holy, it's about being in a process and it's about having depth of character and the depth of relationship with Jesus. Now, so here I've got this cup, and you guys are picturing your cup. Now, what I think, for a lot of us, when we see this water here being as our, a sign of our worship, and there's our cup that we're trying to, you know that picture we've got of a nice full cup showing our worship in our daily matter? And the nice depth of it, you know, like, I know, for, I need a big cup. When I have a good cup, I, I need a big cup. Okay, so that's the depth we're after. But you know the sad thing for most of us? Is that our depth is more like the saucer. And how much, how much worship, how much worship can we hold when we've got a saucer? The worship that we can have on a daily basis is so limited because we have depth like a saucer. And the thing is, is that this depth of character we know is a process, but we know it's difficult, but we often give up on trying to get depth because we think it's hard work, and it takes a bit of courage. So, so here I am at work, and I'm thinking, well, how, how, do we, how do we develop depth in our character, and how do we develop depth in our work, in our faith at our work? And so some examples that, you know, that I really struggled with was when I go to a job on Monday, the first question I get asked is, what did you do on the weekend? And as I've said before at church here, it's one of the most difficult questions I've had because I've often lacked the courage to tell people what I did on Sunday. And so you'd avoid the question, you'd avoid it. So in most of us, between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, we'd get asked plenty of questions about what we do on the weekends, even about our faith, Why do you believe God created the world? Why do you think Jesus was real? Some of these basic questions that as Christians we should be able to answer, and yet we struggle. And we struggle because we've got a challenge with our depth of relationship, and often we don't know what the answers are to these questions. Some of them it's because we've got a a problem with our depth of character, and that we're lacking confidence, lacking a bit of courage to speak up. How do we show depth at our work? We show depth at our work by uh, having some depth in our relationship with Jesus. And so we can answer the question confidently, what did you do on Sunday? What did you do on the weekend? Why do you believe God 
raised Jesus from the dead. Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe that God created the world? These are questions we could get asked on a weekly basis. And I wonder whether we're just a little bit shallow to be able to give some good answers to those. What about on the sports team? Okay, we can have those same questions that we can fuddle around. The other thing we can do is we can have a lack of conviction. And how many of us would act the same way on a Saturday on the rugby field as we would act on church on the Sunday? Is our language the same? Or is our speech the same? You know, for me, I, I, had a, I had a great upbringing where parents instilled in me a pretty legalistic, but in, in the, at the time it was a good legalistic uh, thing not to drink alcohol when I was a young person, so I didn't drink alcohol. And so when I played rugby through university, I didn't drink alcohol, and there's always a question of, from, from people on my team, why do, why do you not drink alcohol? And I go, oh, just don't. You know, well, sometimes they'd go, oh, is it religious reasons? I go, yeah, 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 religious reasons. You know, I was so shallow in my convictions, I was shallow in my relationship with God that I couldn't give an answer as to why. Why did I not drink alcohol? Now, I could have said, well, the Bible teaches that getting drunk isn't right. And while I could have one beer, um, for me personally, that's not a good step to go to, and I just want to keep a clear line. Well, maybe I could have said, well, alcohol is just one of the biggest scourges on our society. Alcohol kills family. Alcohol beats up wives, beats up children. You know, I heard the other day that 40 cases per day in the Waikato are taken to the court for family violence, most of which is alcohol. There's a lot of deeper reasons why drinking alcohol is a bad idea. And as someone in a sports team, I could have had a lot of deeper, much more grown answers to uh, why I didn't drink alcohol. Well, what about, how do we show depth in our worship? How do we show depth in our faith uh, when it comes to groceries? Well, we go shopping. Now, some of us might think that we're, we're strong givers. You know, we uh, want to save every bit that we can in our grocery shopping. And so we work hard at doing sales. We work hard at buying cheaper things so that we can give more away. Maybe for some of us, um, where the product is made is important. Maybe for some of us, if the supermarket does plastic bags or not, is important. Maybe the ingredients are important in terms of where they are made. Depths, depths. We worship God through our depths of character and our depths of relational being. When we go to the supermarket and we see a... Uh, attendant at the chicken counter thing. I remember Jim Hearn saying once he recognised her name being Mary or somewhere from the Bible, and he goes, oh, did you know that was a name from the Bible? Again, a depth of relationship that Jim had in his faith gave him the courage to when he was at the supermarket that he could share about his faith to people at the supermarket. Folks, one of the limiting factors to us worshipping God during the week in the sports teams and at the groceries is our depth of relationship with God and our depth of character. I want to show you a short video that speaks of a person, of a sportsman, who used his faith to make a mighty difference. And we see a lot of sportsmen, I see a lot of sportsmen with crosses on their hand and using verses around. And a lot of them, I'm sure, have got meaning behind it. But for a lot of them, it's just a, 
There's no depth to it. It's just a shallow, but it's a, it's a signal, but it's a relatively shallow one. And this is a story of someone who had a relationship with God that could sense when God was wanting him to change what he was doing. And then we see the impact of how this depth, how this guy worshipping through sports and work, which was both the same, how God used his depth uh, to change the lives of many, many people. Let's just listen to that. You know, there's been so many times in my life where I felt unworthy or unqualified, but God would just do something so cool in the midst of it. And one of those times was when I was a junior at the University of Florida and we we're getting ready to play Tennessee. And I see some of my teammates putting different eye blacks under their eyes and uh, they're putting like their mom's name or their area code under their eyes. And so I start to think, you know, I, I wonder if I could put something under my eyes that maybe could encourage someone or inspire someone. So I was like, well, God bless. I don't know. And then I was like, well, Philippians 4.13, I could do that. You know, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. I was like, that would be that would be good for a football player. So I put it under my eyes. We were blessed to win because it was Tennessee, and um, it really wasn't that big of a deal. After the game, a couple of local newspapers wrote about it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But I kept wearing it under my eyes every single game. And as probably a lot of you know, Gator fans are very passionate. So four, five, six weeks later, they're selling it at the Gator bookstore, at the Florida Library. <laughs> you have thousands of fans showing up to games wearing Philippians 4:13 under their eyes. And I honestly believe half of them don't even know what it means. I had one guy, his name was Phil, come up to me and say, hey, did you wear that under your eyes for me? <laughs> I was like, no, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, so we get to the SEC championship game at the end of the year and we're getting ready to run out of the tunnel and football's kind of one of those things where it's, you have such tunnel vision. It's just one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And, as I was getting ready to run out of the tunnel, I really felt like God was putting in my heart to change the verse. I was like, really, right now? And, but I realized that if we won, we'd be playing a national championship on one of the biggest stages that I might ever get. And so that would be the right opportunity to change the verse. And so we were blessed to win that game. And six weeks, the next six weeks leading up to the national championship, I was agonizing and really contemplating what verse I was going to go with. And God kept bringing it to my heart and my head, John 3:16, because it's the essence of our Christianity. It's the essence of our hope. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's what gives us hope as Christians. So I decided to go with that. And so two days before the, the game, I went up to my parents' hotel room in Miami, Florida, and I was like, Mom, Dad, I've decided to change the verse, and we're going to go with John 3.16. My mom's super sweet and supportive. Oh, that's great, honey. My dad's like, well, have you told Coach Meyer? Because <laughs> he says he just likes his routines, but that dude is so superstitious, it's ridiculous. So he's like, you really need to tell him. So we were right down the street at FAU practicing. We finished our last practice for a national championship. I said, hey, Coach Meyer, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, yeah, how you feeling? Your arm good, leg good, you ready for the game? I was like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, you know the verse I wear in my eyes? He's like, yeah, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, strengthens me. I love it. I was like, well, I'm going to change that verse tomorrow night. What? What are you talking about? You can't change that verse. That verse got us here. <laughs> uh, it didn't get us here. So after a couple minutes of explaining it to him, he totally was supportive and understood and Honestly, after that, I didn't even really think about it. I just went out there and tried to win the championship game. We were blessed to win. And two days later, I was at Ballyhoo Restaurant in Gainesville, Florida with me, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and um, Coach Meyer. And probably some of you have been to Ballyhoo's. And I was just sitting there eating a grouper. And um, Coach Meyer gets a call. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. 
uh-huh. All right, bye. And I was like, who is that? He said, that was Steve McLean. Here's our PR guy at Florida. So what do you have to say? He said, did you know that during that game, 94 million people Googled John 3.16? And honestly, my first thought was, how the heck do 94 million people not know John 3.16? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Sunday school. It's like the first thing you hear, you know? But I was just sitting in Ballyhoo restaurant, just so humbled at how big that God is that we serve and how he wants to do amazing things in us and through us. And when we just step out and show a little faith or a little courage or we just decide, hey, it's okay to be a little bit different than everybody else, what God can do in our lives. And that game just happened to be in 2009, January 8th. Well, exactly three years later, January 8th, 2012, we just happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers and I never even thought about John 3.16 one time, so I can't take any credit for it. I just tried to go out there and win a playoff game, and we were blessed to win this crazy playoff game in overtime, and I run in and try to, you know, shower really quick and change because I wanted to go celebrate with my family, so I'm running to go and do my press conference really quick because I love talking to the media. <laughs> And uh, right before I walk into the press conference room, Patrick, our PR guy, jumps in front of me. He says, Timmy, do you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. Like, let me do this. He's like, no, do you realize what happened? And I was like, I guess not. He said, Timmy, it's exactly three, three, three years from the night you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And he was like, no, you don't realize during the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per completion were 31.6. Your yards per rush were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6, and the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 90 million people Google John 316, and it's the number one trending thing on every platform. I was just standing there in that hallway getting ready to do this press conference thinking that that night was about a football game. And it really wasn't because the God that we serve is such a big God. And standing in that hallway, I knew that it was something so much more because the God that we serve is a God of miracles as we're going to hear today. And it's a God that does pretty amazing things in us and through us. And I think we just have to be willing to step out and say, here you go, God, I'm going to give you my fish and, and my loaves of bread and watch what he does with it. But the God we serve can do pretty awesome, amazing things. Well, isn't that cool? God can do amazing things through people willing to take a step. And as we hopefully have a process of getting deeper in our relationship and deepen our character, God will use, he'll honour that courage and use you. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, uh, wrote this sentence uh, near the end of his life. He says, I want to know Christ. You know, Paul was obviously one of the most Christian people there could be. As I was trying to think of who I'd know that, I was thinking of uh, Dr. John Douglas down here, as, as who in this church would be in that category. And like Paul, I'm sure, Mr. Dr. Douglas would also say that he wants to know Christ. This, is, this depth is never a process that ends. This is a process that just keeps going. And I pray that we can do that. Right, I need to hurry. Is that 1 minute 24, what I've got left? Is that a little bit? Oh, good, sweet, because that was going to be not working. Um, all right, living to worship God. The second part, now about your love. Everyone say love. love. For one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love 
each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Everyone say more and more. Shingos, awesome. To worship God with our whole life is to be united. So that first part about being depth was really about us. It was about our personal relationship of depth with relationship and depth of character. This is about being united. And particularly in these verses, it's talking about being united with other Christians, with other people in God's family. To love as equals, we have the same Father. And it says a couple of times, do so more and more, and more love equals more unity. Now, love for one another seems so easy to say, and yet is one of the biggest tragedies, I think, in the church, is that we love most of the Christians, and yet we always have some challenges. And as we picture our cup, and as we picture our nice full cup, if we are not united, if you have a cup like this one, and only just a little one relationship with a fellow Christian, if that is a relationship that is broken, and we try and worship God and fill up our cup, if we are not united, we cannot have the worship that we should have. It only takes one relationship with someone in our God's family that can ruin our ability to have true worship with God. And when we think of work, and we know the difficult people at work, and we know the difficulty that some Christians can be, and yet a united Christian workforce is God's greatest weapon to bring people to himself. If we could only have a united Christian workforce we would do wonderful, wonderful things in this community. If we could only have united Christian politicians, if we could only have united Christian electricians, farm consultants, farmers, if we could only have united Christians in church, we would have such a great big weapon for changing this world for God. And yet our ability to worship God in our daily lives is limited by our unity or lack of. You know, when we go to the sports teams, I had people in our sports team that were happy to drink alcohol. I could have dissed them. I could have said they weren't really Christians because they drank and I didn't. But that wouldn't have been unity. You know, we've got a great example of Sir Michael Jones who didn't play rugby on a Sunday. And not one ounce out of Michael Jones's voice, mouth, ever came anything negative towards any other Christians who did play on Sundays. Even the huge cost that came, and the many, many times that journalists would try and get Michael Jones to turn on his fellow Christians who did play on Sundays, but not once. Total unity from Sir Michael Jones is one reason why he's a hero of mine. What about the shopping? You know, there's been plenty of times, and sometimes even on this stage, where I hear criticism about Christians who buy stuff from here, or buy stuff from there, or buy this, or buy that. Oh, you can't be a Christian if you eat steak. You know? You can't be a Christian if you drink milk. You can't be a Christian if you buy this clothing or that clothing. 
You know, it's very, very easy to be critical and to break a unity that God would like us to have. As we see some verses, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So true, in a way, easy to say, hard to do. But here's the other thing. Sometimes love one another is bearing with one another. It is not that we always really, really like each other. It is not that we're always going to be best mates, but sometimes it's bearing. And for bearing with each other takes humbleness and gentleness and patience. So this love, this unity, doesn't have to come from being best mates and wanting to go out on a Friday night all the time. This love can often come with bearing with one another in love, which takes humbleness, gentleness and patience. Folks, if we're not unified, our worship to God is limited. I would just love to see a unified Christian workforce and the power that that could be to changing this world. All right, last one. Living to worship God. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Everyone say, mind your own business. business. In fact, turn to your neighbor or someone and say, "Mind mind your own business. Now, there you go. And work with your hands. Say, work with your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect. Say, win the respect. Win the respect of outsiders. To worship God with our whole life is to be respectable. Now, I've often heard about respecting others. Come on, you've got to respect them, you've got to respect them. And yet, not often have I heard about being respectable. For us to win the respect of outsiders is what we're about. We're here to win the respect, and how do we do that? We lead a quiet life, and that means not silent, it means a calm and controlled life. And mind your own business. I love this verse. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they will intensely dislike you. (laughs) Work with your hands means to have personal responsibility. Don't walk around blaming other people. Get on with your hands. You change what needs to be changed. Stop pointing at other people. And all this to win the respect of other people. So how do we get respect? How do we earn respect from other people when we're at work? We work hard. We do our job well. We don't be the stirrer in the pot. We don't mind other people's businesses. We work with our hands and do our job as well as we can. What about in the sports field? We turn up early to practice. We work hard at practice. We don't give up in the middle of games. We train. I remember I used to be the kicker for my team. And I had this great coach once and he taught me about visualising, first time I'd ever heard about visualising, and visualising a big row of trees going down, narrowing down towards the the goal, and they would help by kicking. And it was fantastic advice. Um, And then I came to the next week and I kicked rubbish. And my coach came up to me afterwards and goes, Andrew, how much practice did you do? And I hadn't done any. What a way to lose the respect of your teammates and your coach. 
he'd given great advice and I'd ignored it and not done any practice. At the uh, farm that we've got, the, uh, one of my main managers there, uh, he's not a Christian at all and I'm working on our relationship to try and, I think he might become a Christian one day. I reckon God's got something in his heart that's being planted. But anyway, they're not Christians, and so the language around their house is as you'd expect from non-Christians. But he has got a passionate dislike for this H word, that up here that I didn't read. And in his household, the H word is barred because it's, it's a hurtful word, which it is. It's a very, very mean word, and so for his household, the H word is barred. You know, we've admired that. We thought that's really cool. And one of the things when I go over there, because he knows that I'm a Christian, anyone we meet, the soonest time someone would swear, he would say, hey, hey, don't you swear. This guy's a Christian. He doesn't have swearing around his house. And it could be the dairy companies reps, the sales reps, everybody that would come in. And now I get phone calls from these people and they keep apologising to me every time they swear on the phone. (laughs) Zane has been an incredible person at cleaning up other people's acts around me because he knows I don't like swearing. Now, if I didn't care about his feelings about the H word, if I kept saying the H word like I used to say all the time, how disrespectful would that be? And yet a very, very simple thing, it was hard as a habit to break, of course, but it was a very simple thing for me to stop saying the H word, and I now try and remember to say intensely dislike. But it's just another simple way where you can gain respect. What about at the shopping, at the groceries? <coughs> Something that we've tried to teach our children is that when you've finished with this trolley, it goes back to its parking lot. I intensely dislike seeing <laughs> trolleys left all around the car park. It is a very, very simple way to show respect to your fellow shoppers, to put the cart, this trolley back in its parking spot. If you don't put this back in your parking spot, it shows that you're lazy. It shows that you don't respect other people's time as much as your own time because you think you're too busy to park it there. It's just a very simple way that we can show respect to other people. These are just examples, folks, as we stop and we think, how, how can I be respectable to other people in all phases of life? Because to win the respect of outsiders, we need to be respectable. So here's our cup. And for me, the visualization on a cup is what is written on the outside of our cup. When you can visualize your cup, what's written on the outside? Is this written on the outside of your cup? Monday to Friday? My life sucks. You know, I really do think that some Christians walk around Monday to Friday with this all over their life. You just hear so often about how their life sucks. Now, the sad truth is, for some people, they feel desperately, desperately sad. And we saw the statistics came out recently of the amount of suicides in this country, which is just atrocious and so, so sad. The reality for those people, they wouldn't actually show this. Most of them hide it. But if you do feel as though your life truly sucks, then we've got really good counsellors in this church that will help you. But the reality is, for most of us whose life doesn't suck, we still can easily walk around with this written on our cup of life. Maybe this is something that we uh, have written on our cup. It's not just Monday, your entire life sucks. Hopefully less of us do this, but there's some very, very mean Christian people out there. 
And they do walk around making life difficult for other people. Here's some uh, examples of cups that I have. This is one that I've got in Australia. The little voices in my head keep telling me, get more cows. Uh, here's a cup that uh, I think my daughter gave me. I don't bring this one out much. This is really that Lanier has this most of the time. Drink coffee like a boss. Uh, here's uh, Essendon. This is my Aussie Rules football team. Everyone that's involved in Australia stuff needs an Aussie Rules football team. This is my favourite cup, especially today, that my daughter bought for me. Super Dad. What's written on the outside of your cup? When you go to work, when you're at... Uh, in your sports team. When you're around shopping, what's, what's written on your cup of life? What, what do you show on the outside? What is the superficial stuff that other people see that could actually gain or lose you respect? One of the best verses that I love, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Folks, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is saying every day, every moment, everything we do, when we're at work, when we're in our sports teams, when we're getting the groceries, when we're in our singing groups, when we're at our anything that we're doing, offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true act of worship. We are created to worship God. We are created to worship God. And I've asked the music team to play a song that I know that's new to this church. And it's a song where we talks about, part of the talks is about saying my chains, uh, about being free from our chains. You know, folks, and I think one of the challenges we have when we go to our works and in our sports teams is that we feel chained. And hopefully that video of that guy just showed just the simple steps God can use every simple step that we want to give. And then part of the song too, it talks about giving our whole life to worship God. So these guys are going to play it through to us. If you know the song, then you can join in as well. Um, just look at the words, and as we think about this morning or this evening, about giving ourselves to worship God uh, every day.